Howard still had three years to go of his Prime Ministership. First-run episodes of Friends were being screened on telly and Janet Jackson's recent appearance at the US Super Bowl had just introduced the term wardrobe malfunction into popular usage. It was a very long time ago. It was actually 2004. After 13 years as a senior writer, I left The Australian. I had no idea what came next. I've been a journalist for most of my life. When I started as a cadet at the age in 1984, you can do the maths, I was 17, straight out of school and too young to even earn superannuation. Journalism has been a part of my life for longer than almost anything, longer than my very long marriage, my children and most of my friendships. It's been a 30-year constant, hugely exciting, sometimes uncertain, at times providing me with a really good livelihood, although these days not so much, but always making a good life even better. So when I left The Australian back in 2004, I had no plans. I simply did what any journalist in my position would do back then. I told everyone I was now freelancing. Now, they all knew this was really code for, I just quit my job and have no idea what comes next. But fortunately, no one said anything and just, mis and just wished me well. I didn't need to worry too long about the next phase because fortunately, within a few days after I'd left the Oz, the Australian magazine phoned and offered me some freelance work. One of the earliest stories I wrote for them was a profile of Patrick White's house, which was about to be auctioned. I'd freelanced before, but not since having children, and somehow it did not occur to me that I needed to factor this in before I started calling dozens of people who'd known Patrick White and had been to his house in Centennial Park. One afternoon, a couple of days into the story, my home phone rang. I had not yet gone onto the idea 10 years ago that you never give out your home phone, and I have, you know, possibly should have given out my mobile, but I thought it would be easier to work on the home phone with a landline. I just returned this particular afternoon from the school pickup, and I had my own children and several of their friends at home, and they were all outside in the pool. The call that followed went something like this. Hello? Is Fiona Harari there? Uh, speaking. The name's Miller. He didn't say this in a James Bond way. In fact, he sounded pretty gruff, and for some inexplicable reason, I assumed that this was a Tyler I had been trying to reach about some bathroom renovations. <laughs> so, sorry, I, I didn't quite catch your name, I said, stalling for time, with one eye on the kids outside, trying to work out which particular Tyler I was trying to get a quote from. It's bloody Harry M. Miller, the caller barked back, and I realised that I'd scored one of the key interviews for my story. But how would I get the kids back inside without Harry hanging up? Now, I could have just said... Would you hold on a minute, please, and try to act very professional, posing as my own secretary while I pretended to locate the real Fiona Harari and put her on the phone? This sounds ridiculous and very complicated, but I'd actually done this once before and quite successfully. But this time I didn't. I ended up conducting that interview behind two closed doors while hiding under a desk like this, um, quizzing Harry and Miller about his recollections of dinner parties at the home of one of Australia's greatest writers as my kids and their friends ran through the house yelling out, we're hungry! I haven't given out my home number ever since. When I started freelancing in 2004, as I said, I had no plan and really nothing much has changed. Somehow the years have evolved to produce an eclectic range of work. Over the past decade, I've been, among other things, a freelance feature writer and travel writer. I've worked as a producer and associate producer on several TV programs, although I went into them with absolutely no television experience. I've edited a book of interviews and written a, a non-fiction account of the jailing of the former federal court judge, Marcus Owenfeld. I've also been a literary award judge and I'm about to start mentoring. None of this has occurred through any grand plan. A little did happen through outside approaches, but mostly it happened because I'd wake up and really just think, what would I like to do next? 
I'd ring around to see how it might happen. It wasn't very sophisticated at all, I know, in terms of plotting a career trajectory, but somehow it's actually worked most of the time. After several years in television, making programs including Enough Rope and Elders, I went back to writing last year and I have to say I'm loving it. I've really enjoyed resuming the role of interviewer. Since this year, I've only been writing for Good Weekend. I have been writing for them freelancing on and off for, a, for the past few years, even between television jobs. But as of last year, I've, I've uh, signed a contract to write for them exclusively, which does sound like an oxymoron, freelancing exclusively for one publication. But it has worked fine so far and, in fact, has enabled me to do some really, really rewarding stories, almost entirely of my own choosing. A lot of these stories have involved travel to Alice Springs and Tennant Creek, for a look at how some white Australians are informally raising Aboriginal children without any legal protections, to Burke in far western New South Wales to see why that town has had consistently high crime rates, to Brisbane to interview a man who'd been listed as missing for years. And rather than getting the perspective of the, of the family of the missing, I really wanted to understand what it was like from someone who no, who, who no one knew where they were. I've been also to Christmas Island for a piece on life on an isolated outpost where the detention industry is the biggest employer literally for thousands of kilometres. What interests me as a freelancer these days, though, is quite different from what I might have written as a salaried feature writer on a major daily. I have been a feature writer for most of my career and I used to write across a, a wide range of subjects, mostly as I was asked, literally anything from politicians to Danny Minogue. But increasingly my stories have been about ordinary people enduring extraordinary events how, for example, a family copes in the years after their son is king hit and left with severe brain injuries, what it's like living with a fetal alcohol spectrum disorder, and wondering about Monica Chetty, a mother from suburban Sydney, and how she could have ended up living rough on the streets of Sydney with serious burns to 80% of her body. I am actually, I should say, a pretty happy person, and I do laugh and smile quite a lot, but it can be quite hard to tell sometimes from the subjects I choose about these days. I've actually been thinking a lot about what it is that I'm attracted to in these stories and I honestly can't tell you, they just seem somehow to be truer stories that, that sort of narratives that I increasingly want to tell. Although I work from home, I spend quite a bit of my time in cafes, drinking coffee and reading papers, sometimes writing bits of features when I've got stuck on something at home and catching up with friends and more often than I could have imagined getting some really great story ideas. It's really not that different from what used to go on in the newsroom, chatting about work and life and the news, and inevitably a story idea would crop up. These days, though, the setting is more likely to be caffeinated and the ideas have often come out of conversations with people far from the media world, and so have the tidbits that have led to great stories. A particular favourite was getting to explore the conversations and laughter of a support group for ageing Holocaust survivors, average age somewhere around 90. Apart from allowing me to spend too much time in cafes, freelancing has also given me a great work-life balance. So that is great, but the division between work and home, I have to say, is frankly appalling. There's yet to be an office door solid enough to completely quarantine my private life from my work life. I've tried to structure my week, work, my week around work and personal life, but it's basically become a bit of a blancmange. For a few days recently, for example, I was actually organising a school cake stall in between lining up a story on Rosie Batty, whose son Luke was killed by his father at cricket practice in February. It was an especially difficult story to tackle. Rosie was surprisingly happy to be interviewed and I spent a few days with her on the Mornington Peninsula. We wandered down to a local cafe and she took me to a favourite gallery to see some of her favourite artists. I flew back to Sydney knowing that I had a really great story. Rosie is open and engaging and very succinct on the conflicted life she's now living having become famous on the back of her 11-year-old son's death. 
But as soon as I got back to the office, which of course is home, I felt shattered. I've interviewed many, many grief-stricken people and I've managed to find lightness in stories that might have been unrelenting. Even a piece I did on parents raising terminally ill children and a visit to a children's hospice had had moments of brightness. But somehow the stark reality of Rosie's life, that the fact that not even being named Victoria's Australian of the Year would ever change Luke's death, brought me to tears that afternoon. And working at home, of course, alone, there were no colleagues to share it with. Fortunately, I live in a busy household and there's always someone to talk to, but that lack of camaraderie really can be an issue when you work alone. It's something I really miss. On the other hand, I'm not restricted by office hours, so I went into my office, shut the door, and produced three and a half thousand of the best words I think I've ever written. Rosie has messaged me since to tell me how much she loved the story, which was published on the weekend. I hope we'll remain in touch, as I have with several people I've interviewed in my freelance years. As a salaried feature writer, I never seem to stay in contact with anyone, but somehow nowadays I seem to take my stories and their subjects a lot more personally. Sometimes I phone the parents of a young man who's been missing for years just to say hi, but really I also want to know if they've found him and they haven't. And I've also befriended a 94-year-old Holocaust survivor, survivor who is sharp and smart and very witty. She asked me over on the pretext of giving me baking lessons, even though I can bake, but invariably she talks... We but invariably, we talk, she cooks and I eat. And I think I found the perfect relationship. When I set out to be a journalist 30 years ago, freelancing was never in the plan. But I am still a journalist and I still love what I do and I still have absolutely no idea what comes next. <laughs>